You're listening to the Bugcast, broadcasting from Studio B, from the heart of WBUG. Hello and welcome to the Bugcast. You're listening to episode number three of the Bugcast, brought to you live, sort of, not really, uh, live to the hard drive, that is. Uh, This is episode three, as I said. Uh, We got a little bit of a special episode today. Um... On the second half of the program, uh, I've got a guest. Um, joining us this week is going to be none other than Gio. And uh, we're going to be discussing uh, several different things. Um, primarily, how one gets into the analog uh, music collecting world. Uh, primarily record collecting or, you know, whatever your uh, your format of choice would be. And we're going to talk a little bit about that from ground zero. Like, you know, and also we're going to cover uh, from the point of view, hey, I live in a small space and um, what can I do to negate that and also enjoy the wonderful world of analog music listening. Um, today in the news, I've got no idea what's going up, uh, in the news because, uh, I've decided what I'm going to do is f- as part of the spontaneity of each episode is I'm going to just look up the news when that segment arrives and just kind of go off the cuff, um, just roll off whatever thoughts come to mind about the news or what I think about it right in that moment when I'm when I discover, read about it. Um, I think that uh, was a real success last episode on number two. And uh, we'll try it again this episode just to see what you all think. Also, we will be uh, talking a little bit about the future. Uh, the future of this podcast, where I want it to go. Um, and also, what my goal is for... Me and the listening audience, just to see uh, if we're all on the same page. And I think we are. Uh, Listenership has gone up steadily each week, which is good. Um, Still not on Apple Podcasts yet. Um, Trying to adhere to their awful finicky rules. Um, And uh, hopefully we'll meet those expectations with episode three here. And uh, from that point, we're just going to move forward. And I think I'd like to start off talking about, uh, because uh, when when Gio and I discussed this segment, uh, the theme of this episode is going to be the beginning. How maybe you can, from my perspective, before he and I talk about it, you know, just how and why I do what I do as far as collecting records and listening to devices, listening to music through devices that are as old or older than me and why that's important. And I'm going to try to um, delve a little bit deeper into the significance of that and why I feel it's important. And uh, I think I'll start off by just saying that uh, my favorite format, analog format, is uh is vinyl records and uh, the reason being is because that's what I've always had. Um, you know, the family had a 
console stereo in in the house when I was growing up and vinyl records were part of that and my earliest memories of listening to music were on vinyl records and that's my comfort zone and I never stopped collecting as I got older with my own money uh as difficult as it was because there was no eBay there was no um online sales and it wasn't cool most people were trying to get rid of their records which was good for me because I wanted those records and it remember I remember a time I was going yard sailing with my sister uh, most people in the states know what yard sales are but there uh where residents in, in neighborhoods will get a lot of stuff they don't want anymore and they'll advertise in the newspaper and put signs up and they will host a sale in their yard or their garage or both and uh, just try to sell these items make a little bit of money on stuff they don't need or want anymore and a lot of people will go to these and um, you know usually you make a day of it like Saturday morning uh, from about 7 to noon it's peak time You'll go and you'll purchase just stuff. Like if you need furniture, get it cheap. Somebody's trying to get rid of it, you can get it cheap. And it's it's a, kind of a tradition in America. It's kind of fading out these days. 20 years ago is really, really probably the tail end. And as time progressed, you just don't see it too much anymore. A lot of your antique dealers or your, what I like to call your junk dealers, um, We'll go with a box truck and just buy up everything useful and valuable. And then they have a secondhand store. That's where they'd rather you go get it. Um, and they get there and they've got fat wallets and they've got business expense cards and big box trucks. What are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to compete with that? But anyway, my sister and I used to go. My mom, as a family, we used to go. And um, one time when my sister and I were going, um, I came across this middle-aged woman uh, who had a whole, just several boxes of record albums. And she was like, you know, just pick through what you want. You can have them. They're free. Um, I can't sell them. Nobody wants to buy them. And my kids don't want them anymore. And it was it was the era of music that I was like I was I was hip to. I was like, oh, this is this is good stuff. And I picked through, and I didn't take everything. I I wanted to, but I was like, you know, I don't want to be greedy here. I want to just take what I really want, what I really like. And since she's giving these albums away, uh. Maybe the person that comes in behind me will appreciate the fact that I didn't take them all and my karma will be intact and, um, you know, I have good fortune, so on and so forth, you know, uh, that probably worked for a while. But anyway, um, that got me about my first 40 or 50 records of my own that started my collection. And like I said, I was probably a teenager at the time and um it was just uh it was just you know something that uh that we did and it was pretty pretty obvious that uh 
records were on their way out. Nobody, nobody wanted to have anything to do with them anymore. So it was just like, um, it was just like, you know, very cheap at the time. You know, like I said, if you wanted to get in, get into it back then, it was the time to do it because, uh, there was nobody listening to uh, records. CDs were popular. DVDs were even coming out at that point in time. Nobody wanted analog anything. They, you know, it takes it too much room. Heavy. In fact, I have family members that promised me, hey, I got a whole stack of them in the attic if you want to. They never bothered, and I never pushed it. But, you know, there's a lot of people just say, hey, uh, I, I spent a lot of money on this music. I wanted to go to a good home, but I don't want to. I don't want to deal with it anymore. And uh, so that that kind of led me down that path. And like I said, I did, I only listened to CDs when I was writing for Music Magazine back turn of the twentieth twenty first century. Um, I was listening to CDs because that was what my editor sent me to listen to, and they were more contemporary artists. Um, and I did that for quite a while, American Music Magazine. Uh, I did that for quite a while. Um, I really enjoyed it. I could have had uh, my pick of, of concert tickets at the time, but we didn't have an amphitheater at the time. I could have had a press pass, which allowed me a lot of access but like i said we didn't have the amphitheater at the time so may, basically i just got free cds and i wrote um two thousand words about about what i thought and most of the time they were pretty good and i made a lot of good contacts back in the day um doing that um some of the band members would reach out to me and you know because they were just starting out and they, they were like you know Hey, I uh, read your review. I appreciate, you know, appreciate the honesty and everything, you know, it really means a lot, blah, blah, blah. And uh, then 9-11 happened, and uh, that sort of just disappeared. I think American Music Magazine is still online um, to this day, but I really don't know for sure. Um, kind of didn't look back after that. I sort of started a computer shop thereafter and just kind of didn't look back. But that was um, that was primarily a good experience. But that's the only CDs that I have to this day um, are the ones that I had from that period in time that I, that I, that I got with the uh, press release. And, you know, it's, hey, review this, hey, review that. And I was a newbie at the time as far as writing goes, so I really didn't have a choice. I got what everybody else didn't want to write about. So some of the music that I listened to was just pure bunk, and um, I didn't mind writing about it because I had to listen to it. And um, so that that was really the only time I ever had any CDs. And I had to listen to them on my computer because... I had no other way to listen to the CDs. So that was uh, that. was that. But the analog record player, I remember when I got my current stereo. Uh, it's the late 70s Pioneer, 1978-ish Pioneer of components, um, component system, you would call it. 
Um, you have separate components, each each part of the system. The speakers are separate from the amplifier. The amplifier is separate from the tuner. And each component, you know, hooks to each other one separately. And that's just the way it is. And, um, I got it at a yard sale. But now, prices being what they are, it's going to be really hard to get a high-end setup like I have for cheap. And uh, you'll hear me talk to Gio later in the episode about how to how to negate your space constraints and how to uh how to go about collecting if you will and the good news is that you've got your online resources you've got um you've got a lot of different ways to get these record albums or whatever I me mean, tape is probably most expensive real um reel to reel tape is probably most expensive Analog format there is. I just priced a couple of Pink Floyd tapes, uh, seven and a half inch um, reels that came from the publisher, came from EMI, pre-recorded uh, with the box and everything. Um, eight thousand dollars, seven eight thousand dollars. That's extreme. That's Pink Floyd. That's very rare. But most of them that I can find on tape reel is two, three hundred dollars. Uh, Cause it was just, you know, even back then it was just the highest of the high end. Um, the signal to noise ratio on a tape is very limited. So you know only only your own most people couldn't even afford it back then and now they didn't have high sales so there's not a lot of the instances or examples out in the wild so that's kind of difficult rarity and demand people pink floyd yeah people demand pink floyd memorabilia no matter what format it is and being on tape, that's the rarest of the rare. So naturally, one comes up for sale, it's going to be $8,000. Obviously, I don't think it's worth that. But I have paid good money for uh, equipment. I believe investing in the equipment. But the, the medium is, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you see it for sale, you may never see it for sale again, as far as tape goes. Uh, my favorite... As I keep saying, my favorite digital medium or format is mini disc, and um, that's increasingly expensive to find artists on mini disc. You can, it's out there, uh, but it only lived during the '90s, so you're not gonna find a whole lot there. But another another aspect, if you will, is. Uh, Space, you know, record albums are heavy. They take up a lot of room. That's why I don't really collect now because of my space constraints. And it's very difficult to to have the space. I've got a full-size stereo, four standing speakers to go along with it, phonograph the whole nine yards, plus the records that go with it. That takes up a lot of space. And... um I decided a long time ago that my music experience is more important than my TV experience. And whatever I would invest in a television and movies and all of the surround sound and everything, 
I decided that my listening to music experience would and should be priority. And that's kind of where I let that go. Uh, other than that, it is not really, um, uh, not really easy to, to problem to solve. Uh, you just have to um, prioritize things. Like, music takes up the center point of my life, whether it's playing music, you know, through guitar or bass, or playing and listening to music um, through some sort of format, you know. And I feel very um, fortunate uh, here recently, you know, because everybody knows me as being a huge Pink Floyd fan. Um, whenever they hear a song or a discussion, they'll hear a little whim of something. Like recently, um, my dad was watching YouTube and he was watching a reaction video to the song Pigs, Three Different Ones on the Animals album, uh, 1977, uh, Pink Floyd. And he was kind of like, you know, um, what, what is that? You know, there's some deeper meaning there, but what is it? So he came to me, and I handed him a book, uh, that book being Animal Farm by George Orwell, written in, uh, I think, the 1940s, if I'm not mistaken. But it uh, it represents a lot of how the band, particularly Roger Waters, felt about the music industry, and he kind of interpolated the Animal Farm analogy, if you will, or or uh, parody to to the business end of the music industry. And you have a lot of that uh, in their music, especially in the Roger era. So that was kind of where I felt like, I'm going to say, it was a short book, so I kind of felt like, you know, I could I could capture my dad's attention, and I really find it fascinating that he came to me for the knowledge of Pink Floyd, which I feel honored to possess the knowledge, because uh, I used to joke a lot, you know, I still do sometimes, but... I don't want it to interfere with my real faith. And my real faith is Pink Floyd, but, you know, I used to joke and say that, you know, Pink Floyd's my religion. And uh, while it did have a lot to do with my personality and how I view the world, like Dark Side of the Moon and Animals and The Wall and listening to that music uh, from an early childhood did develop my worldview. Uh, or help develop it. Anything after that just kind of reinforced what I already felt through Pink Floyd's music. And you can't really experience it. And this goes to my point, my original point. Uh, when I listen to Pink Floyd, that's what I do. I'm, I'm not listening to it while I'm video gaming. I'm not listening to it while I'm reading a book. It's not ambient noise in the background. I sit down... I might have something to drink, some my famous tea or or something, you know, with me, a snack or whatever. But I have headphones. I'm sitting back. I'm comfortable. 
I'm not moving anywhere for a while. And I listened to the entire album from front to beginning the way it was meant to. And interestingly enough, Pink Floyd is the reason that Apple iTunes has gapless audio. Not a lot of people know that, but you're not meant to listen to Pink Floyd one song at a time. That's not how they intended the experience to be, and that's not how it's best enjoyed. So um, when iTunes came out, they put a two-second gap in between tracks for, you know, to click easier, or, you know, because, you know, on the older um, iPods, you know, you would do the thumb wheel thing. So if you had the two-second gap there, it would be easier to stop on. Sort of like tape, cassette tapes, you know, it would be easier to stop on the um, the song or whatever. So... Uh, they took Apple to court over it, and because of that, Apple had to introduce Gapless Audio. And uh, on to the news. And now for the news. All right. Uh, welcome to the news. As usual, I'm not prepared, so uh, let's see what we got. Okay. This week, the news... Shouldn't be that interesting, but um, for those of you who are interested, we shall get right into it. Like I said earlier in the program, I'm going to continue just doing news on the fly. Uh-huh. It'll primarily be music news because there's not much in the recording industry news as I see it. So we'll just see. What's going on? Um, okay, we'll start off with Billboard. See what's going on. Uh, for those corn fans out there, they've canceled their concert due to positive code uh, COVID nineteen case within the corn camp. Uh, there was another band that recently canceled some of their shows due to. COVID-19 case within the band camp. Which, you know, I get it. They don't want to get sued. But at the same time, it's like, just get on with it, okay? Uh, uh, Ariana Grande reacts to Selena Gomez singing Break Up With Your Girlfriend on Board. Um... Childish. I'm not even going to entertain that with any more than that. Um, let's see. H.E.R., who I imagine is faking the guitar, uh, delivers crowd-pleasing performance with L.A. Phil at the Hollywood Bowl. L.A. Philharmonic, for those of you. Um, I seriously question these pop stars that hold a guitar while they're in front of a crowd singing. Um... I I fell for a lot of YouTube videos um, where they, you know, watch me shred on guitar. And they shred on guitar only to find out it's all fake. Um, They just do it for the views. And there's nothing really, nothing really uh, there at all. Let's see here. Um...
Uh, let's see. Billboard really didn't have much, so we're going to try something else. Uh, where did I go last week? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Rolling Stone. I'll go back. Back to Rolling Stone. See what we got there. Um, okay. Uh, this is interesting. I know it's legit. Uh, Wu-Tang Clan performed with Colorado Symphony at Red Sox show. I have to check that out on YouTube. That should be interesting. Zion one rapper Steve Zumbi Zumbi Gains dead at 49. Wow, never even heard of this guy. Um, Steve Zumbi Gains, rapper in the Bay Area hip hop group Zion one has died at the age of 49. His family confirmed the rapper's death to KQED Friday. While they did not provide cause of death, hip -hop, all hip-hop reports that it was for complications related to COVID. Sure, it was complicated related COVID-19. Okay, sure it was. Everything is a COVID-19 death. Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, let's see. Um... You know, Rolling Stone used to be a music magazine, but uh, I'm seeing more. Um, okay, well, here, here's some Steely Dan News, one of my favorite groups. And also, uh, one of my favorite concerts was at Steely Dan a few years ago, I think in 2011 with Geo. Uh, we saw him here at the amphitheater in Tuscaloosa. Uh, wow, what what professionals. Um that group was tight. It was just the most entertaining. Um, probably the best concert since Pink Floyd in 94, I feel. I've seen a lot of concerts. Um, but um, here's the headline, and I'll read a little bit of it. Uh, Steely Dan uh, dropped roll-licking. That's the headline. Roll-licking live versions of Hey 19. And reeling in the years. Uh, Steely Dan have shared live versions of Hey 19 and reeling in the years off their upcoming live album, Northeast Corridor. Hey 19, which you can hear above, uh, it's just part of the link, uh, was recorded at the Met Philadelphia while reeling in the years derives from the Mohegan Sun Arena in Ucasville, uh, Connecticut. A snippet of the latter can be heard below. Fans who pre-order, of course, pre-order the live album will receive free downloads of both songs. Oh, wow. Hmm. That's great. Uh, Northeast Corridor arrives on digital and CD. They're still selling CDs. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, that'll be available September 24th for those who are interested. Uh, while the, here we go. The vinyl will be released on October 1st. Uh, the 12-track album taken... For, see, that's what I like. I love it that, that bands are still releasing vinyl. Uh, Cheap Trick released an 8-track a while back, which I thought was kind of cute. Uh, okay, the 12-track album taken from recent tours marks their first live record in more than 25 years. Uh, Donald Fagan, who still tours as Steely Dan, while Walter Becker passed away um, a couple years ago, 2017. 
Uh, we hit the road this fall on the Absolutely Normal Tour. Hmm, that's cool. Um, okay, well, so that's cool. Uh, y'all check out, please buy the vinyl if you can. Support support that format because um, they don't have to release it on vinyl. They're doing it for the fans. So if you're a Steely Dan fan, buy the vinyl record. Um, I highly recommend it. Um, and it will only become a collectible, so it's more of an investment than anything. Uh, let's see, Cypress Hill in the news. A lot of hip-hop these days. <laughs> Cypress Hill marked 30th anniversary of debut LP with digital reissue and new remixes. Cypress Hill celebrated the 30th anniversary of their self-titled debut album released August 13th, 1991 with an expanded digital edition featuring bonus tracks plus a pair of new remixes. It can't be a hip-hop album with some kind of remix somewhere in there. All right. In addition to the original LP featuring the hit How I Could Just Kill a Man Wow, that's a beautiful lyric. And Latin lingo. Well, that's not too bad. The West Coast hip-hop legends have also added the funky feel one. Mm, okay. Extended version. Stoned is the way to walk. Mm, okay. All right. Reprise. Oh. Oh, okay. And Puruco. Uh, big expansion to digital. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're... Uh, Old school hip hop fan. Um, here is what I do find interesting in this article, and they wait till the very bottom to release it. Um, and we'll go to f- web page not available, obviously. Okay, well, they released a graphic novel, um, which I think is interesting, um, dedicated to their origins. Um, you'll have to check that out if you're a Cypress Hill fan. I like some of their songs, but I have to pick and choose my hip-hop, uh, accordingly. So, uh, let's see, anything else going on here? You know what? I don't want to I don't want to get into anything controversial with this podcast but Rolling Stone needs to stay in their lane. Um that's all I guess. I'm reading some of these headlines and I'm like what does that have to do with anything? Okay, now I'm going to specifically search for rock music news because I'm tired of reading about hip hop honestly. And that would have to be Loudwire. So let's see what Loudwire has to say. And it doesn't disappoint. Here we go. A first headline on Loudwire. Man files copyright lawsuit against Nickelback over Rockstar. (laughs) And I hope to God he wins it. A man named Kurt Johnston has filed a lawsuit against Nickelback and Roadrunner Records, Warner Chapel Music Incorporated, 
And like that, if you are a music fan, you know why I'm laughing. Because uh, Nickelback is a is a freaking caricature of a rock band. <sighs> and I am not surprised they stole somebody's song if they did. Uh, stating that the two bands, two thousand rock stars. Now, why did he wait almost freaking eleven years? No. 15 years, 16 years, 16 years. Why did he wait 16 years before he files this lawsuit? See that? That to me is a jump. That to me is a jump right there. Uh, That's a huge red flag. So I'm a little disappointed. In 2001, he was in the band called Snowblind. Okay. Snowblind Revival. And made 15 copies of the master tape to send to record labels. Including Roadrunner and Warner Chapel Music, he claims that the labels gave Nickelback access to the song and they in turn copied it. Wow, that actually sounds legit, but why 16 years later? Oh, okay, Johnston elaborated that a substantial amount of the music was copied, including the tempo, song, form, melodic structure, harmonic. Okay, you proved the point. Uh, it has the ability to compare the two tracks here, but we're not going to do that. I'm not going to play copyrighted music here if I can help it. Um, uh, but why? Why wait 16 years? Hmm. Don't know. I don't know why they wait. It's like these these people that... um have been sexually assaulted by famous people. It's like, why? Why are you going to wait 30 years? Although I believe Bill Cosby's guilty of everything he's charged of, because I read the affidavits and I've read the the unsealed uh, settlement agreements. So, you know, he admitted that he did it. But my question is, why wait 30 years after you've been assaulted? Uh, there's statute of limitations, there's witness, you know, there's foggy witness testimony there, you, you know, understand you're going through, so I can understand waiting a while, but 30 years just makes no sense to me. And like I said, I ultimately believe that Bill Cosby as an example is guilty, but there are so many other people out there that you're just wondering, like, I don't know. I don't know if this dude is guilty because why why she wait until now to point the finger at the dude you know maybe he's further in his career um you know like what what they did to brett kavanaugh was was totally uncalled for and like i said i don't want to talk about controversial things but no matter what your political affiliation is it is now out in the open wide and it's just historical at this point that he was treated unfairly and um, whatever name lied about everything. She said that she lied. Her attorney told her to lie because it was politically important for the country. And Brett Kavanaugh, who had more women in his cabinet than any other federal judge who gave women extended maternal leave when they needed it, uh, had no record of any kind mistreating women whatsoever. 
Uh, all of a sudden, out of the woodwork, he's thrown on the bus. Uh, he has a wife. He has children. Um, and they had to endure the punishment he also endured. When that man was in tears while he was being confirmed, uh, I was just totally outraged. That, that probably drew a line for me in the sand. And I'm not going to talk about what line I went to. But um, it's just totally... It's uncalled for. Not only does it hurt him, it hurts women. It hurts women, and I know this is a music podcast, but it hurts women because it kills women's credibility. The more women who cry foul or or lie on men, it's less uh like it's more likely that they're not the ones that really need the help, the ones that are really victims out there. Uh, it's less likely that they're going to be taken seriously because of the vultures. And unfortunately, evidence has shown that there are more vultures out there than victims. And that's sad because women these days know all they have to do is point a finger and destroy a man. And uh, like I said, um, if I offend some people, that's fine. I don't care. You don't have to listen to this podcast. But it's truth. Like I said, the the Brett Kavanaugh situation is behind us. It's historically documented. Everything I said about that case is fact. There's no disputing it. There's no arguing. Um, so just moving forward from there before, you know, I lose the rest of you. Um, why wait 16 years to file a lawsuit against Nickelback? Um. It's going to hurt your case, and it probably will, because um, that's going to be the first thing. Why wait till now? You let all this time lapse. You let Nickelback make all this money off of your song. Why now? What is your motive? Your motive is now questioned. Your credibility is now shot, and you've got very little room, uh, very little room, very little evidence, because you don't, do you have a copy of your master tapes? You just said you made 15 copies, and you sent them out. So where are they? Where's your copy? Do you have one? How do we know? I mean, you know, how do you know in the last 16 years you didn't just decide to make a copy yourself and say, huh, I got a plan. Um, you know, I, I, I think he's telling the truth, but then again, I don't know because 16 years is a long time. You know, a kid can be born and drive a car in that point in time. So, uh, it just gets me fired up, because why, just why wait, why wait, why wait? Okay, Machine Gun Kelly changed his genre. Uh, don't understand, That's certainly, okay. Let's talk about Machine Gun Kelly. First of all, I don't appreciate the name, um, because he stole that off of somebody who earned it. <laughs> the real Machine Gun Kelly, so, um. Let's just start there. Your your whole career is based on somebody else's fame. You or your name is only familiar because of history. Uh you didn't make a name for yourself. You're living off the real machine gun Kelly's name. So let's start there. Secondly, uh uh I don't mind somebody branching out to other genres. If if this is what he wants to do, Kid Rock did it successfully. He went from from hip hop to to rock and roll, rock and roll, hip hop. 
it's pretty much just doing country music now. And honestly, I'm I've been a Kid Rock fan since the beginning. Um, I kind of like how he merged rock and roll with hip hop. He kind of made it palatable. He made it cool. You know, if you you just wanted to just listen to something and not take it too seriously. And he's a fan of the old greats like I am. So I get it. And and he does his own thing. I mean, he lives in a camouflage trailer for crying out loud. And he said, you know, if a tornado comes by, I just buy another one, you know, and that's cool. He doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, so you want to go to a rock? Uh, so, yeah, he's getting a lot of flack for not rapping. Well, good for him. Um, you know, expand your talent. See what else you can do. Flex your muscles musically and creatively. Artists need to do that. Test your boundaries once in a while. Don't get don't get stuck in a uh, uh what do you call it? A pigeonholes, my friend Geo calls it. Uh spread your wings, fly. Be successful wherever you can be successful. I mean nobody says anything to J Lo about being an actress. And a a a singer, you know, when she branched out the movie, nobody said, you know, hey, what J Lo? Uh, why ain't you singing no more J Lo? Um, you know, Jenny from the block, why ain't you singing no more? You know, they embraced her, you know. So, what? Well, these aren't real fans here. They're fans of hip hop, but they're not fans of this dude that calls himself Machine Gun Kelly. Um, if they are real fans of his, they would be like, you know what? That's cool. Maybe I want to listen to some rock and roll too. Maybe I want to listen to this new genre called rock and roll. See what's up with it, yo. I want to get out of this hip hop game and talk about the gangsters and all the hoes and bitches. And I want to see what rock and roll has to offer. <laughs> Do that. For those of you who only listen to hip hop, go listen to some jazz or classical. Come back and we'll talk. I know this was the news segment, but man, you know, why give him such a hard time about changing his honors? And he, and nobody said he quit rapping. He just released the rock song. Maybe he said, hey, what if, you know, what if I, and he's playing a pink Telecaster. Uh, let's just talk about that for a minute. You know, anybody who is confident enough in his manhood to, Play a pink Telecaster. Uh, you know what? I don't own a pink guitar. Not that I have a problem with pink. I got a real pretty seafoam green one. Uh, but, you know, that kudos, Machine Gun Kelly, dude. Um, just, just kudos. And if I'm not mistaken... That might even be, it's a Schechter, it's a Schechter with a Telecaster style body. Um, but you know, good for him, good for him. That's what he wants to do, that's fine. That's fine with me, I got no problem with it. Um, we're going to read one more headline here, and then I'm going to introduce the next segment, which is going to be uh, Gio and I discussing some things, so y'all hang in there for that. Uh, we're going to talk about Metallica here for a second. They got a new gimmick going on. I'm going to 
want to hear about it. I want to hear about it because whenever they have it, because you know now they're just about the gimmick. They're not really about anything else. Um, it says scroll to continue reading, but the app just crashed. Oh, here we go. These advertisements are getting annoying. All right. Um, okay, they're releasing another expanded and remastered version of the Black Album, plus a tribute collection of Black Album songs by other artists called the Metallica Blacklist. And um, that's coming out September 10th. Um, And there's some kind of limited edition black snare drum with a lot of, it's just gimmicky. Um it's gimmicky. And I I've I haven't been a Metallica, Metallica fan since some kind of monster. Um I watched the documentary. I hated to see Jason Newstead leave. I hated the way they treated him. Uh, he saved that band. He came in under huge, tremendous amounts of pressure. Uh, he was unwelcomed by everybody, the fans and the band alike. And uh, he he just endured, and he it toughened him up. And, um, you know, they never did appreciate him for what he did. And... His first album with them, uh, there is no bass track. There is no bass in the whole album they did with him. And um, I forget the name of that album. I should know it off the top of my hand, but it is what it is. So, yeah, that that was just sad to me uh, how they treated him. And he left, and I don't blame him for leaving, but... um. Metallica just hasn't been the same since they they've kind of just uh lost their edge, if you will. And I'm not saying that Jason Newstead gave them that edge, but they're they're just so successful and they're so wealthy at this point that they're not hungry for it anymore. They're not you don't hear the fight in the music. You don't hear the hunger in it anymore. You don't hear them striving to fight their way to the top. They're, they've been there for a while, and they're just making music for, well, this sounds cool, all right, man, that sounds cool, all right, cool, <laughs> that's cool. And there's no substance there. There's no meaning to their music, it's just bullshit. Like fuel for, give me fuel, give me fire, give me that which I desire. I mean, it's it's nothing, nothing. It's There's nothing there. And uh, St. Anger was a complete disaster. I hadn't listened to anything after that. And, uh, they, yeah, they just lost their meaning, and I'm not interested. Um, I, I respect their old stuff, and I'm going to leave it at that. And having said that, the next segment with Geo's coming right up. Stay tuned, and I will catch you on the next episode. Thank you. And that was the news. All right, so as you all know, I'm Bug. Um, you're listening to the Bugcast, hopefully. And uh, this is my special guest, Gio. Uh, you'll probably be hearing more from him in the future. And I would like... Hello, Gio. 
I would also like to take this opportunity to let you all know that there will be a joint venture between you and I and our own podcast called Geek vs. Geek, which will be released imminently. Uh, we're still working on some things. So, so anything you want to say right off the bat, Gio, uh, to the listening audience? Well, uh, thank you for uh, having me on your uh, one of your first shows. Uh, I've listened to the first two episodes. Um, I seem to be the only one, as you say, that had any kinks, but I seem to have worked that out. Um, well, that's, I was going to ask you about that off the air, but um, yeah, I'm working on trying to get on to Apple's podcast app, but as you well know, they are finicky. So hopefully I've got that sorted out in any day now I'll be on the Apple platform, but I'm everywhere else. So, and listenership is growing. So that's good. Um, so is there, is there anything, I know we talked earlier about what, you know, we wanted to kind of talk about as it pertains to the subject matter of my podcast, which is audio. And, uh, is there any particular realm you want to dive into first or you well, know, anything? I'm, I'm fairly new to, uh, to the audio game. Um, I, the, the closest I've ever come to working with audio is I operated a soundboard um, many, many moons ago uh, for my local church. Okay. Um, I've always had an interest in radio. Um, as you well know, uh, yeah, never actually worked in a radio station, but I have always had a, a keen interest in traditional radio. Now, I say radio, I don't mean ham, I don't mean you know, talking I mean, to broad, some guy, bro broadcast radio, exactly. Okay, um, right. and uh, I've always had an interest in uh, in you and I have talked to over the years about um, stereo systems, uh, mm -hmm. records. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, one of my other areas of fascination is actually, it, it's ironic that your podcast is, is directed towards audio because this is something that I'm also interested in. Not only recording, you know, producing music but also well, he, listening to he, music well well here's the thing here's the thing and this, i'm just i didn't really go into this in the previous episodes but since you brought it up I, I feel like that's kind of what inspired me to to do this because uh when i bought my reel to reel and uh people were like dang that's kind of overkill ain't it you know but at the same time they were kind of like wow that's pretty cool though and uh a lot of people were asking me different things, you know, and they don't do this publicly. They come to me privately and have private conversations. So it, it's it's kind of like more on a one-on-one. -on -one. You know, somebody will talk to me, like my buddy Paul, for example. Um, introduced him to Budgie yeah, uh, a while back. He absolutely loves that band. And he's like, how have I not heard of these people? <laughs> you know, so um, a lot of people in years myself so a lot of people have jumped on this curiosity bandwagon like, like yourself and i was like you know if i'm gonna do a podcast 
that's not not you know um relevant to what's going on around us which i think our podcast geek versus geek will cover more of that than this will what would i talk about you know and uh what what am i passionate about music recording seems to be the the mystery of the um you know everybody knows you know they have their own way of listening to music but not a lot of people know how it's recorded especially in the today the home studio is so, you, you know, prominent and I see a lot of people doing it wrong. You know, I see on Facebook marketplace, a lot of these quote unquote home studios, you know, I record your artist $20 an hour and they've got basically just a microphone and an interface and a laptop and they're calling that a studio and maybe they can get it done. Maybe they can't, but, uh, as you well know, I like to take things to the extreme sometimes. And, um, Sometimes for the good, sometimes for the bad. But I do have a lot of knowledge that I feel like I can pass on. And um, after you and I talked uh, yesterday, I kind of felt reassured that, like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing here for what I'm doing because you've had some questions which prompted me to invite you on, you know, as a guest. Because I felt like a lot of people would have some of the same questions or some of the same would want the light shed on on the dark um, for lack of a better metaphor so hopefully we'll cover some of that or all of it yeah um the closest i've ever come other than operating the soundboard at my local church um as i said is um i used to have an old uh old boom box that you could hit hit record and you could the micro it had a microphone or something in it where it would pick up um your voice and things in the room yeah. like you had to be had to be really quiet so you didn't if you were trying like, to record something off yeah like just your regular old tape recorder like like right. we had from, but it was built into the boombox mhm yeah, I remember. I remember I had a tape recorder for a long time. In fact, I'd, I'd like to have another one um, just just for nostalgic's sake. But I used to use mm, this kind of weird, but I used to use it to save programs to um, when I had a Commodore 64. The, the, the tape recorder was the disk drive. Um, mm-hmm. um I wasn't that fancy. I had a dandy. <laughs> dandy. Well, this is basically the same thing. Um. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, my parents, when I was growing up, had a Pioneer um, stereo system. Mm-hmm. I, I remember it very fondly because we used to get electrocuted. <laughs> because Yeah, that, that's back... That's back when you had the two prong plugs that didn't have the ground wire in them. Yeah, it used to if you touched it just so, it would get a nice little. I had a console stereo that did that same thing. <laughs> I took a chainsaw to it eventually, which I re, which I regret, but I got electrocuted one too many times, I guess. Yeah, um, which which speaks to my extremism. 
you know, the very fact that I would do something like that, get electrocuted one too many times to take a chainsaw to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I said, my, well, my intention was to take it out of the console, build a nice rack for it, and hopefully fix the ground issue. But uh, got a little carried away with the chainsaw, so. Oh, well. The stories I've never heard. <laughs> there's probably uh, a lot of them <laughs> I mean we've been friends for I don't almost almost three decades now and yeah. I'm, I'm find I'm finding more and more uh, you know stories and, and things I'm, that I just never knew all these years I'm like now somehow I know that this this he would be doing this or he you know um I remember we've had disagreements over the years about I'm like, oh that's that's old and you're like, but it's cool. Um, it is cool. And because uh, I came from a uh, from an analog world into digital because digital was so, is so much easier. Um, most people, it's funny you say people are talking about studios and stuff um, and these. Mm-hmm. You can basically get away with a laptop, a microphone, a pair of headphones, because everything's mm. done in software. Um, but you use an interesting phrase there, get away with. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but look at today's music, though. Is, is it related? You know? Today's music sucks, and we don't really. The artistry of recording went away. The craftsmanship behind it went away. To to about, um, I would say probably being a connoisseur of of, of music. I try I try not to um, discount most everything, most anything, mm. but. Um, I would say up until the mid two thousands, there was, you know, right about two thousand two thousand three is when I started noticing um, more more electronic, more which there's nothing wrong with electronic, but everything does it goes in shifts and goes in cycles, and I think we're actually going back to the eighties. At this point, <laughs> um, well, I think well, you and I, first of all, we're next, uh, we're Generation X, and we came of age in the '90s, you know, Nirvana and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. Our childhood was the '80s, and I think our children and us as Gen Xers, not necessarily you and I, but G- Generation X. Uh, are reaching back to our childhoods and the 90s are, are there too you know a lot of people a lot of younger folks ask me about what it was like in the 90s I'm like is this what my dad feels like when I ask him what it was like back in the day back in the 60s and shit I mean it was like you're asking me what the 90s they were the 90s I mean come on what, what's there to explain it was the 90s yeah and then when, I you, mean, play, and when you play music from that era they're like that's old like, yeah, I, 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 call me old man. I, I take a chainsaw to your ass. Shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no. In all seriousness, though, I kind of feel like I'm carrying. You and I are carrying on 
uh, a history. Like, like, uh, we're like, I, I kind of feel like, um, when the younger generation cares enough to ask and talk about it, I kind of, kind of feel like there, there's a preservation there that, okay, you know, the way we grew up as Gen Xers, you know, um, you know, we, um, we're able to preserve that ideology a little bit, you know, we're the last of our, we're the last of our kind, you know, the next generation and the generation after that millennials and zoomers, I don't know why they call them zoomers, but the millennials don't know the world. We know, we know the parent, we know the world of our parents, but our children don't know our world. You know what I'm, does that make sense? Yeah, well, in terms of, uh, I was thinking about it earlier, in terms of um, what, you know, what we were exposed to and what they're exposed to, what kids today are exposed to, I like to think of us as, we're the knob generation. Um, Kids today don't have We grew up with knobs. Yeah, God, I never thought about that. I mean. We we had knobs, switches, uh, (laughs) actually turning something on. Oh wow! I never thought about that. That is so weird. You're right. Steve Jobs eliminated buttons off off the off the iPhone. Uh, wow! I never thought of that before. That that was that that is amazing. This generation never grew up with knobs. There's no knobs anywhere. Not even on TVs. Nope. Wow, wow, that blows my mind. They just disappeared. We didn't even realize it. That's an excellent observation. That That is, I can't believe I've never noticed that before. No I can't say I've ever been in, a, in an actual studio, but what I've okay. seen from, um, from documentaries and, and, and pictures and things, most modern studios, I mean, do they even have mixing boards anymore? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, oh. they're digital, but like you say, no knobs or very few. But a lot of <laughs> but see, here's the thing about musicians, like guitar players especially. We are very conservative. Um, new thing, we don't like new a whole lot. So a lot of a lot of prominent studios will keep their analog equipment. Just because a lot of musicians won't play through digital, if they're going, and their arguments sound. If I'm if I'm going to go pay this money for a studio and it's all digital, I can do that at home. I I want studio time to be a studio, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get that the analog in me definitely gets that, but as an artist, as a musician. Um, yeah, I do. You, you've heard some of the stuff that I've worked on. You've seen some of the sessions that I've been working on. Um, you know, you can do this stuff at home digitally. So why are you going to pay a studio unless there's, unless there's a, um, bigger reason like the analog, the analog equipment, the artistry of actually recording to tape and that and what that brings, you know, the the, the warmth and the, the the organic nature that it that it presents. Yeah, well if you're somebody at home now 
like kids kids have picked up on since you were talking about phonographs mm-hmm. your last episode i mean kids mm-hmm. have picked up on vinyl it, it's like the in in thing and um but do they I really always, appreciate it though I, that or is i don't just, know yeah see that's I the thing i can't discern i mean they're for all I know, a lot of these kids are just picking up a little cheap Crosley mm. um, mm. suitcase we, record player. We can talk about um, that. I mean, which okay. I saw, I've seen one. I, I, I almost bought one. That's how desperate I am to get into, to well, get here's, into this. Here is, this is a great segue into what we one of the things we want to talk about and your question was starting from nothing how do you jump into collecting records or you know um or tape or whatever you know analog how do you get into the analog world having no resources no idea where you even begin and I remember telling you, like, yeah, that's something I could definitely ha- have some thoughts on that I could definitely help with. Um, and I think the, the the younger folks out there, the, our generation may be on the cusp. You know, we grew up with CDs primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Which a place. still easier, still easier to collect than records. They are, and are. and they have their place. I don't totally discount CDs. I don't, um, even though they're digital. Um, but I said on the last episode, the mini disc is my favorite digital format. Um, I, I just I think mini disc was the way to go, but we didn't mm-hmm. quite get there. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I I will say this to anybody out there, who want, especially the young people out there, the teenager, the high schooler, or even younger, you know, the bare minimum equipment is one of the, you just get on eBay or yard sale or school sale somewhere and get one of those record players that you used to see in school. The Bulletproof, you, you know the ones? The, they're usually blue. Uh, Caliphone is probably the most famous brand. But there's a few. Some of them were brown. If you were out west, you had a different. I forget what those are called. But if you were in the south or the east coast, you had the Caliphone. It was blue and it was just like built like a tank and it had these big clips and you undid the lid and the speaker was built into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You could pick those up. I've seen them on eBay for cheap. I mean, a couple birthdays and you can have one, maybe one birthday or a really special Christmas present if your parents are hip to to what you're into, you know, um, speaking to the young people. Um, I mean, I mean, I, that's bare minimum for as yeah, far for as me, for me, it's like, OK, your space is limited. A lot of kids are going right. to have a bedroom. It's not going to be huge. Mm-hmm. You know, space space uh, is pretty. You're gonna have, and it's gonna compete with your computer desk and your television usually, because uh, you're gonna, you know, if you're a high schooler or college kid, you're gonna have a game console. Most adults these days have a game console. So, in one bedroom, you're competing with a lot of other devices. And like I said, the bare minimum, uh, they're not 
cheaply made like the Crosleys are. It's a bunch of pl- these things are made for students to use over and over and over again, and they're bulletproof and they are small. You can tuck them away under your bed and you grab your little records out and you can grab your your Caliphone uh, record player and set it up and, and and okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm listening to my records right now. You know, mm-hmm. the records themselves, there's no easy way to store them. I've got about 500 or so now. I stopped collecting because I ran out of space. Mm-hmm. Um. And when I, you know, when I eventually get my own house, um, I'll have a room dedicated to books, media, books, and and records, and all this. And but right now, I stopped at about five hundred or so, and they're heavy. <laughs> Figuring out how moving them things all at once is going to be impossible. Um, mm-hmm. That's yeah. the really the only drawback is the the, the space requirements, but. Um, that was the argument when I started talking to um, family and and stuff. You know, I want to cl- start collecting records. I want to get into that. Um, it really wasn't something that I could get into as a kid because um, I primarily only can use effectively use one arm, mm. and I always felt I always felt like it was I, I didn't want to mess the the record up. I didn't want to mess the you know. Uh, the needle on the record up or, or the stylus or um, and I didn't up until a couple of years ago, I didn't even know what any of this, I didn't know the parts of a record player. I didn't know anything about a stylus. I didn't know anything about a knee. I just thought you, I knew the, I knew the word needle, but um, you know, I didn't know what a stylus was or, you know, anything about, you know, actually, taking care of a record, you know, really, you know, putting effort into listening on a record, you know, um, cause records have a totally different sound than any other media. They, yeah, don't they, do. like, they don't sound like CDs. They don't sound like an MP3, you know, mm. um, so I started looking into this and the only resource I really had was YouTube. Well, I had, of course, the internet, but I, I went to YouTube and found, you know, just people that, you know, collected these things and, you know, advice that, uh, that they would give, but I also had you, mm-hmm. um, you didn't, you know, weren't, you know, taking full advantage of it but i remember visiting you once and putting you putting on a record i think it was like you too and i yeah, was like so. i i was like i have to i have to uh you know experience this you know for myself i want this you know one day or whatever but Again, I was, you know, kind of like... And you were... Well, that experience, just just for those out there um, listening, that was through my high-end stereo, big floor-standing speakers, a restored phonograph. Um, You you know, that was all... There there was no low-end equipment there at all. Um, 
and I try to model my system after what a middle-class teenager might have in his family's living room uh, back in the late 70s, you you know, mid-70s. I didn't want to go too high-end because of budgetary constraints, but I didn't want to cheap out either, you know, because, you know, it's going to sound like crap. So... My setup is is what would be in the living room of a middle class, upper middle class, maybe. You know, you had they cared about music in the family room, room, and uh, that's that's what they would have, you know. And he, you know, that teenager would have access to that to listen to, and um, that's kind of where I left my, you know, that's kind of where I set my standard, you know. Um, yeah. Without cheaping out. Mm-hmm. I um, I mean, I have started a list on Amazon of, of records and CDs that mm-hmm. I want to acquire. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm like, okay, where do I start with the with the player? You know, because I want to have a decent, like you said, uh, is it getting one of these? Um, Things like this off of eBay. Um, I've done a lot of research about, you know, you can either have a belt-driven one or you could have one that already has an amplifier in it. Or you could buy your own amplifier. I mean... Well, some some audiophiles, as, as we are known, um, I will argue about belt-driven turntables over direct drive. Um, I personally... Prefer direct drive. My phonograph is a direct drive. It's a PL518 Pioneer. Um, it's been restored. Uh, it's direct drive. There's no belt driving the turntable. And my logic on that is really simple. And one reason, and one reason only belts wear out, rubber deteriorates, and direct drive does not. And the guy that restored my phonograph, his name's Kevin Yoder. I don't know if he still does it or not, but he put extra thick um, oil inside the the phonograph, uh, so everything moves. The arm and all that's hydraulic, hydraulically actuated, and. Um, because of that, everything moves really, really slow, especially when it's cold. And it scared me for a while. And the only reason I know that he used extra thick hydraulic fluid in the um, in the machine because he, you know, when I asked him about it, he was like, "Don't worry, that's cool because it it, it put that in there for longevity. It should never need any maintenance." And to this day, which I haven't used it in a couple of years, I'm having the the cheap stereo stand that I have it sitting on is not level and I, I can't level it for the life of I me. Mean, I've got business cards and I've just feet. It just won't it just won't go level for some reason. So until I replace that, um, I just decided, well, I'm not gonna screw up any more records trying to figure this out. Um and I had a test record that I did use for the process. Um I'm just not going to just I'm just going to pause that for now because I'm not collecting records right now either. So there's that Um, when I move it, 
that's when that problem will get addressed. I'll probably do something really simple. Just have it sitting on a small stand and just just simple, simplistic kind of thing instead of the big glass case that it's in now. It's just, it's just too much, too much. It's just, just too much. And um, that's, that's the thing about it is, you know, records – that's the only thing they're they're getting expensive and they take up space um that that's going to be your drawback um as other forms of media go they're not the most expensive but you know well some of them can go depending on what kind of uh what you're looking for um it it, it varies but um it's, it's, i think the most i've seen one like if you went for a box set or something like that, that's going to cost you a couple hundred dollars. But uh, um, the last, yeah. the last couple albums I bought, um, I kind of, I kind of, uh, I didn't pay anything for. Technically, I got them free. And how I did that was um, everything I buy on Amazon, um, I use my Amazon credit card with which gives me like 5% reward points. Mm-hmm. And I would use those reward reward points to buy an album, which is something it's like a treat for myself. It's like, okay, this is like free money here. It's not really, but it is. Um, Cause it's there. And I'll be like, okay, I'm going to use this to buy, um, you know, to buy this record, you know, and on eBay, they're still doing it now, but they're phasing it out. The eBay Bucks program, where it's kind of the same thing. You buy something on eBay, the more expensive it is, the more eBay dollars you get. And um, like I said, I don't want to count on that because they're phasing out. They're still doing it right now, but I got a letter a while back that you know they're they're going to phase that out eventually. So, but yeah, same deal there is you, you know I got the Miles Davis uh, some kind of blue totally free based on those e-bucks um my favorite records uh it gives one of mine too i, I really like uh mid 60s uh with with miles uh late 50s mid 60s uh that's kind of where i think he was at his best i don't say he went downhill from there but life changed <laughs> society changed and jazz was just not hip you know um as far as equipment goes the the california record player probably be space saving other than that i would go with an all-in-one type deal like from the 80s um, it's small enough. It's got the it's got the radio, the tape player, and the phonograph all built. We call them receivers back in the day. You know, it's my stereo receiver, man. Mm-hmm. And everything, was, and you get you a set of little bookshelf speakers like my Klipsch's, which are large bookshelf speakers, but they are still considered bookshelf, and they sound absolutely amazing. I've heard good things um, about Klipsch. Um, uh nothing i've heard even comes close to these at all and i i i i I, just not (laughs) i mean you and i are very partial to pioneer i know um uh old school pioneer Um, 
I mean, it pays. I've discovered it pays to learn about the company. If you're going to get into this kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know, learn about the companies that make this equipment. Mm-hmm. You know, do you do your research? Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, really take your time and enjoy it. Um, I one day I would like to build a you know a rack component by component. You know, but right now. Just to get started, I, I just want something I can, uh, you know, I can start collecting records and enjoy them. And you know. here's another suggestion I was going to go into. Um, if you don't have the space for full-on albums, uh, you can collect 45s, and that's fine too. Um, you know, you know, you got an A side and a B side. That's where the term B side came from. The 45. For those who don't, who didn't grow up with records, and the A side was the single, and they just threw another song on the other side as as a what? And a lot of some artists got lucky, and the B side became a hit too. But um, the B side was usually just an afterthought. It's just okay. Here's our single on the A side, and we'll just throw a song out there on the B side just because that side is there, and something needs to go there. Mm-hmm. And 45s are about half the size of the, the of the 12 inch, and um, they're still going to take up space. But if you've got room for CDs, you probably have room for the 45s, possibly. You know, and they're thin, so you could stack a bunch of. Them. My sister used to stack them up. She used to have this thing like a like a. You remember the CD spindles that you buy your CDs on? You know. The blank mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. She had one of those things for her forty-five records. Um, that mm-hmm. that she just stick stick them all on this spindle, and it had a cover, and the cover would go down over. It. And you know, she had her BG's record player, which was my first record player. She gave it to me, and I got God, I still wish I had that thing. Uh, um, but yeah, she was upgrading her. She'd gotten a, a nice stereo JVC for Christmas, and she didn't need her BG's record player anymore, so she passed it down to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember my mom taking me shopping because it just played 45s. It didn't play 33s. Um, you know the um, the 12 inch. So my mom took me to the grocery store, and we picked out some 45s. And I remember I got Christine McVie. I remember getting Don Henley. I remember all the the 45s that I picked out for my own collection. And she she kept her 45s, but she gave me some of them because, um, you know, she had a record player. So, But she gave me some of them that she didn't listen to anymore. And that was the um, – I wish I still had that to this day. But I, I would be very curious to know what kids – how kids like – you know, experience records because it's not like a CD where you can just, oh, I, I just like this song, so I can just skip to, you know, this particular song. A record, you have to sit down and listen to the whole thing. You, you can't, um, uh, well, you can, you can, you can move the arm over to the track you want to listen to. It's not exactly push button, but you, you know, if there's a particular song you want to listen to, you can move it over 
you know, to that, you just count the grooves. You know, it's like you can, really? you can okay. see, yeah, you can see where the song separated, you know, the gaps, and you just okay, this is track three, so I just count three over and move the arm over. It's not easy. It's it's better just to sit down and listen to the album, uh, like Pink Floyd prefers you do. Mm. Um, but speaking of that, yeah, Pink Floyd took Apple to court over that. That's how. That's why Apple had to do the gapless audio thing. Because uh, they're like, our music is not intended to have these two second gaps in between the tracks. It's meant to be listened to from one end to the other all in one sitting and uh yeah they 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 apple lost that that uh that lawsuit and i I was telling my dad the other day they introduced it as a feature like they came up hey we we now have gapless audio yeah because you pink floyd sued the shit out of you you had to so why don't you why don't you why don't don't you announce that part of the whole equation yeah well it's just it's just uh Big companies don't like it when they get egg on their face, and mm-hmm. they, you know it has to be something pretty significantly bad before they have to come out and apologize. And Apple is notorious for we ain't apo- we ain't apologizing for you know anything. We're Apple, and <laughs> um, that's the big difference between today and now. Or today, and, and you know, back in the seventies and eighties, corporations weren't like what they are now. I mean, yeah, I mean they they kind of were, but yeah, they kind of weren't. I have a love hate deal with Apple. I, I don't know. Um, As do I. It just hasn't been the same since Steve Jobs passed away. Um, but they uh, they did introduce digital audio to the masses, which they had to. They, they mm-hmm. music had to go digital. Um, yeah, I don't think um, CD. I don't think I don't think CDs were gonna last forever. You know, for all the same problems you and I talked about. Um, you know, having space. Um, being able to play the thing, you know, so everybody has a smartphone, you know, so everything's on their phone, you know, which that's not how I listen to music. I, I think I got two albums on my phone, um, but that's just not how I listen to music. But uh, I notice I said albums, I, I usually don't buy music per song, I buy the album, um. Or the discography when uh, available. Uh, <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, that used to be a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, so is there anything else you want to cover real quick? I know no, it's a little uh, bit over, uh, a little bit I, over uh, the time. I no, but I, that's fine. I'm good. No, I've got uh, I've got a I got a, some pretty good starting points. I'm I'm sure we're gonna revisit this at some point. Um, sure, um, you'll be back uh, on eventually, unless I get a lot of hate mail somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
But yeah, uh, I wanted to have you on because we, we we talked about some things, and I thought that you know that would be relevant to where I'm trying to go with this podcast. Um, you know, like that'd be one of the great reasons to listen to this podcast is where do I even begin? You know, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a professional, but I do, you know, play an instrument here and there or even sing, you know, where do I begin? You know, and what, from, from, from my point of view, from an analog guy, when I go digital, it's a hundred percent digital. Like my, my clip speakers are connected to my Mac via the optical cable. There's no copper between my computer and the speakers. It, it starts out digital when I record it and it never sees analog. That's going to change eventually because like I said, I'm an analog guy, but I know in order for digital to work, digital has to be end to end digital or else what's the point, you know? Well, uh, I certainly appreciate the uh, the nod, and uh, you gave me, like I said, I've, you've given me some great starting points. Uh, hope somebody else gets something out of this. Um, sure, and uh, you know we'll we'll talk about it, you know, regardless eventually. But I'll have you back on as it's pertinent, and uh, if you'll if you'll you know if you'll come on. Anytime. And, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, again, we're, we'll be releasing our podcast, our joint venture, Geek versus Geek. I don't know what would you say about maybe a week or two, maybe a week. Everything something goes like, right. Something like that, depending on uh, how life works out. <laughs> yeah, scheduling and and all that good stuff. Um, now that I've been able to produce this podcast and get a lot of the production stuff under my belt, which I've never done full on production before, or not not like this. Um, so that was a learning curve for me, and I and now we have that knowledge in our repertoire. It, it's just a matter of getting some time and recording an episode and. Uh, we have we have a work schedule uh, figured out, I think, don't we? Didn't we figure that out? Pretty pretty much. Okay, so we're, yeah. we'll stick to that. And uh, yeah, um, it was good talking to you. Um, there will be this is a segment in the in the broader episode, so uh, this will probably be the end or right before the end. I hear myself in the recording there. Um, so, yeah, the, they've already heard me talk for uh, a half an hour or so before they got to this. So I'll wrap it up afterwards. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was good having you on.